0: You're listening to The Outpost Podcast with Dr. Ray Mitch. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Outpost Podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Mitz, your host. Thanks so much for joining me. And just to start out, I was reminded of some old words of an old mentor of mine. Whenever he started a talk, he would often say, um, in the immortal words of Francis of Assisi as he passed Brother Dominic on the road to Perea, Hi! And that's usually how he would do that, and so that's how i'm going to start today it's hi how you doing? Um, <clears throat> thanks so much for joining me. I know that uh, how you spend your time is um, a precious commodity, and your willingness to take an hour or so out of your time to listen to me and some of the things that that I've learned and observations I've made is uh, very much of an honor so just to give you some uh, understanding maybe you're new you've never heard uh, of the outpost and somebody said hey why don't you listen in well what we're about what i'm about is to explore this intersection of faith psychology and spiritual formation and that's really at any given point in time uh, we may be spending more time than others so like for example the series that i'm just going into today um, is very much spiritual formation it looks at the spiritual journey and how I can understand it a little bit more clearly, how I can participate in it. And so, you know, the next few weeks are going to be really very much devoted to that. Uh, And and then we may turn our attention to psych issues that come up in terms of spiritual formation um, and, and faith, faith questions and issues that come up as well. So it's all intermixed. You can't really tease them apart very easily. And that's really just the reality behind it all. So what I want to do is to create a space where the doubters, the bruised and bent, the wounded and confused, the beat up and beat down people um, who really believe that their life's a disappointment to God um, can, can be accepted as they are and known and know others as they are as well. Um, which ironically, we're always very good at giving acceptance to other people, but when it comes to taking it ourselves, that's a little tougher to do because it requires some measure of risk uh, when we do that. So that being said, what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is is for people to actually meet um, the biblical Jesus, not just who they've been told he is, not the distortions that maybe they carry with them from a bad church experience or a bad Christian experience. So that's kind of what we're about. That's what I'm about trying to focus on here. And um, one of the things I wanted to do before I got into the actual material and stuff um, is to, to tell you a little story. I, I had started a number of years back, um, starting meet, meeting with a group of young men that were motivated to talk about life and have their faith and their psychology intersect with that. And um, <clears throat> and I am meeting again with a group of young men that I started with back in August, and, and we carried it through as much as we could through the fall semester. Um, and now we're in the spring, and we continue to meet. And <clears throat> I think this thing of... Um, bumping into the biblical Jesus actually happened now that doesn't it's not something that happens regularly but in this group it sure did and Friday uh, when we met I had a very distinct feeling and I've had it before because I've been in counseling and I've worked with people for a long time where it is very clear that the Holy Spirit is on the move and uh, pushing and prodding and using my words to, to challenge uh, various distortions and things that people have. And that happened. And it was a remarkable moment. It truly was a remarkable moment um, that happened in the conversations. And and it it really was remarkable in the risks that were taken, the courage that was shown, and then also the commitment that was communicated to one another and that's the stuff of what we might refer to as the band of brothers. They, they, they get through the adversity, and the reality is, whether we like it or not, adversity draws us to one another, and it's out of that bond that then we can enjoy the joys of living life together and seeing things in that way. So um, that's just an example. And in a lot of ways, it's the prototype, that group of young guys, is the prototype for what I talk about in terms of outpost groups and seeing them form and having those kind of conversations occur uh, that are, I think, pretty remarkable, really, and and something that I think a lot of people don't often experience, and, and in that moment, they sure did. So that gives you a little bit of idea of what the target is, really, for uh, Stained Glass International, which is the the ministry umbrella on, under which we operate the outpost podcast is just the voice of that ministry uh, and i'll talk a lot about uh, at the end of the program some of the resources and things you'll find on the on the home base the digital um, home base called sgi-net.org so with that let me let me pivot and talk a little bit about where i ended and and one of the things that i ended with last week was introducing people to this idea of what a spiritual journey looks like. And we talked about the variety of elements that will crop up, the difficulties that we'll have, the, the distortions that we carry with us into this journey. And so all of that was leading up to what I want to talk about today. And But I want to reiterate the two key principles I started out with last time, and that is that you can't go anywhere or move anywhere if you don't know where you're at. And so we need to be able to be equipped to think through where we are. And if we don't do that, then how in the world am I going to plan? And so I can sit here in Colorado and say, you know, I, hey, I, I I would love to go to Hawaii, which I wouldn't. I'd rather go to Alaska, quite honestly. Um, but I would love to go to Hawaii, and then somebody says, "Well, where are you now?" And it's like, I have no idea. I just want to go to Hawaii. I just want to go to Alaska, and and see that it it is an element we tend to overlook because we don't really assess, partly because of some other internal narratives I think we often have around where we are versus where we should be, which is thoroughly um, sabotaging our best efforts to actually engage and participate in this in this thing we call the spiritual journey. So that's the first one. Second one is you can't lead somebody someplace you've never been. And so there's it's, this is kind of a two-pronged approach because in this one sense, why am I doing this? I'm doing this to to deepen and build my relationship with God because I need that in my own life. I need that spiritual connection. I need the spiritual uh, fuel and refreshment that comes from it. I need that at the same time, and that's a key, okay, is at the same time, that gets leveraged to helping other people because I've walked down this path before and... I can say, yeah, yeah, I get that. Me too. I have experienced that as well. And I, let me tell you a little bit of what my story is without trying to make it a point for you and and really go from there. So where we want to start now, imagine for a moment that that you have a circle in front of you and you've got six different um, squares along that circle, okay? And each square represents kind of a phase of the journey. And um now, the authors of the book that I'm borrowing a lot of this material from, uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick, comes from the Critical Journey. If you want to read it, uh, you're, I would encourage you to do so. Um, but they have stage one, which is the converted life, and then stage two is the discipled life. And we may or may not be able to get to stage two, um, but but I want to get to at least start to unpack some of stage one. Um, and ultimately stage one as the converted life well let me go back to the circle I was describing to you so it has six different um, waypoints and I mentioned waypoints last time and waypoints in flying are coordinates in in the sky that pilots run by longitude latitude where they are and once they hit that then it's a waypoint and then they make a correction in their course to continue on where they're going. Those are waypoints. And now I also mentioned last time, and waypoints is, is defined as way, W-A-Y, not W-E-I-G-H, because you've no doubt heard anchors away, right? <laughs> and away in that case is A-W-E-I-G-H. It's, it's casting the, the anchor off um in this case it's way w-a-y point and it marks a point where course correction needs to occur and so that's what each of the oftentimes these stages are and there are six different boxes around that circle and we will kind of work our way through each one we're going to start at the very first one and it is literally referred to as the converted life and and this stage, if you will. And again, I, I have real reservations about using the word stage, but since the authors are using it, I, I will stick to it. But just realize that, like I said, the, the journey itself is fluid. Um, it is a spiral moving upward, and it can collapse down on itself. So I can be in two different stages at the same time, which really violates a stage model idea. It is because there are not, there's not a bright line between stage one and stage two and stage two and stage three. There's no, there's no more of a boundary than if you cross from, for us here, if you cross from Colorado into Nebraska, it's not like you have to jump a chasm or something. It's just marked and that same thing is true with the stages that, that I'm gonna be talking about. So the very first one, is is often referred to as the the converted life and this this starts with the discovery of god through a recognition of need sometimes sometimes it's a result of just a sense of awe Um, isaiah in in the uh, old testament the prophet was awed by god's presence and and he was ushered into god's presence and he he was sure that he was going to be undone, and so sometimes it's a sense of awe. Sometimes it's a it, it's a immense sense of need uh, that, and and there must be something else, and I, I I can't do this by myself. And people are, you know, thorough, thoroughly unreliable in trying to accomplish this. So, um, it starts with what we call conversion, which is very much of a. Religious term, but it, it fits right. We we've got a AC to DC converter. We convert from a life of enslavement and self sufficiency and all of those things into a life of freedom um, and reordering the priorities of our life. It's not. It's not like we're we're going to have no troubles once we pass into a relationship with God and Jesus, but. It's still a conversion, and it and the funny thing about it is there is a oftentimes, not always, there is a point of conversion, and then there's this long process that we're talking about in terms of the journey, which in a sense is kind of growing into, which is what children do, that we grow into who we are. And, but there is a oftentimes a dividing point where there's a conversion um, and and there's there's a sense of new birth. Um, and a new sense of purpose, a new sense of of uh, the life that we might now have. Now again, just remember that when we go into this, and, I, and 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 it's something I have said before, is the converted life is the first stage. But that doesn't mean that if I'm all the way over in the fourth or fifth stage, I don't have elements of the converted life, or I come to a new understanding of my relationship. With Jesus, and then it feels like a conversion all over again. Does that mean I'm losing ground? No, not at all. Remember, these can collapse down on each other, and so the the, the sense of new birth, new focus, new life, all of that is very much a part of this converted life stage. Um, and and it can be out of a sense of awe. It can be out of a sense of need. Um, it, it it really can can be. Uh, you know, some some remarkable thing happens, and we have a sense that something bigger than us is is on the move and actually moving. Good example is Saul. I mean, Saul. You want to look at a conversion, right? That he was a fire breathing dragon uh, amongst all of the new followers of the way, otherwise known as Christianity. Eventually. And, and he, was, he, he was searching and destroying them. He was taking them and, and bringing charges against them and killing them. And we're told, even in Acts, when the story of Stephen is told, which is the first martyr of the church, uh, that who held the coats of the people that threw the stones at Stephen to kill him was Saul. He was the coat bearer. And and so he went on a rampage throughout the countryside, trying to track down all of these way way followers. And and by the way, there's that word again, right? Way. Um, and and so that's a good example. And there are other examples in Scripture of a conversion experience of some sort, where the person turns and pivots, and and maybe even more so, does a one eighty and goes back in the direction toward their identity and who they are, and a change of mind, and and all of those sorts of things. The other thing about this that isn't often talked about, I think, is what can prompt this experience is creativity, it is experiencing other people's creativity. Now, let me give you an example. If you ever want to read an interesting book on spiritual formations by a Catholic priest by the name of of Henry Nouwen, N-O-U-W-E-N. And this particular book was entitled um, The Return of the Prodigal. And Henry tells the story of going to the the, uh, Hermitage in in St. Petersburg, and sitting in front of Rembrandt's drawing of The Return of the Prodigal. And he sat there all day. Uh, to the point where the guards had to kick him out of the museum, and he tried to get a a, a chair to sit in front of it so that he could see it at a different angle. It, it's that kind of thing. And just in that amount of time that he spent with that painting, the book was born, The Return of the Prodigal, and he explores what what people he related to in that story. So it was not only God the Father, but it was also the prodigal, and it was also the elder son, who's in the shadows and so creativity can spark it It, very much in terms of sparking our understanding and our um, draw to God himself unfortunately if if you look at some of the more denominationally based or ecumenical approaches uh, to disformation a lot of times they'll mute and hold down and um, not suppress because that has a more intentionality to it but they they, it, it mutes this new birth this new excitement that the person is feeling and again like i said i can experience a conversion of sorts um when i'm over in stage four and five and that's you know a whole other kind of phase of the journey if you will so Um, there's there is something else that we have to talk about in stage one and that is what um, the authors refer to as feeling caged uh, and feeling stuck would probably be a better way to put it and instead of feeling love and awe um, we think of God and others as constantly having expectations of us that we can't fulfill now what is that The reality is is that when I come to faith and trusting that Jesus is who he says he is and his promises are true and I'm willing to, to lean my life against that and against him, it doesn't mean I drop all of my tendencies that I had before. I bring them all with me. So if I have... Perfectionism, if I have anxiety, if I struggle with depression, if I have a lot of distorted um, uh, perceptions of the world around me and people, all of those come with me it 's not like I drop them um, when when i I decide to um, lean my life against jesus and that and that 's one thing that goes into this so this idea where we have this sense of uh, God and others constantly having expectations of us that we can't possibly live up to. That's old thinking. It's pre-conversion thinking, if you will. And we bring those things with us. And if we don't identify that, then we will. What we will end up doing is integrating that into our faith, into our faith, and it becomes part of our journey as if that is just normal and it isn't i mean I, that kind of begs the question it isn't but at the same time we're going into a journey we've never been on so why wouldn't we use old strategies to try to accomplish this new journey and and that's natural i you know i, I don't know that there's any way around that it is happening but if i want to change that and if i see that actually as a obstacle to my relationship with god then i have to be aware i can't change what i don't see or i don't recognize as a problem or i won't accept and that's that is another one of these key principles that shoots through all of this is that i can't change what i won't accept and when i say accept it's not condoning it's not saying it's okay. It's it's not patting me on the head and saying everything will be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. No, it's not that at all. That's not what acceptance is. Acceptance is a full embrace of the reality of where I am, who I am, and what kinds of things I'm bringing with me into this journey. That's what acceptance is. And then my targets are really very clear in terms of what I can do and what 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 I need to do to make some changes here. So, um, our and let me give you another example: our perfectionism, our perfectionism, we bring into our faith, and so we superimpose it because it's our way of 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 uh, ordering life, and so we order our spiritual life that way as well, and. When we do, expectations arise, demands arise, um, how we handle mistakes, how we handle not doing things quite right or not, not living up to whatever the standards are that I think I should have. When I fail to do that, that's usually when perfectionism shows its ugly head. It's waiting in the wings as long as I continue this performance. There, you know, there's, there, there was another author um, that kind of got ostracized in the evangelical community. His first name was Tulian. He was the grandson of um, uh, Billy Graham. And, and and he called it, he didn't call it perfectionism. He called it performacism, which I think is probably closer. It's all about performance. I am my performance, and I will do everything in my power to make sure that my world is clear, that it is um, uh, certain, it it is predictable, and it's ordered. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that happens. And that includes my image of myself, that includes my expectations of other people, that includes even my expectations of God. And I... I I bring that to this picture and quite naturally then I put it onto my spiritual journey being a list of tasks to accomplish rather than a journey to be lived. And that's, that is really tough. And we, when we're early in this process, we don't know that we're doing that. And ultimately we've got to hope, or we've got to seek a mentor who understands that, not just the scripture, not just the spiritual journey, but understands, and this is the intersection of psychology with spiritual formation, is what 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 other psych issues are going on in here? Just gritting our teeth, uh, white knuckling it, and stopping something only guarantees it will come back in greater force. That's all it means there is no trust in perfectionism there is no trust in perfectionism so i am trying to convert into a new faith which is about trust but i'm trying to order it in a way that is that is built on not trusting and it's hard for us to admit that i think in in a lot of ways so um the, the other thing that tends to trap us is dwelling on how we have failed others um and how certain we will be that we will fail them in the future, and that tends to feed a sense of worthlessness. And this, these are all things. And just to keep you kind of grounded, these are all things that are part of the very beginning of our faith. I look back at my faith, and and I I, I accepted Jesus on the on the shores of the River Thames in England. Um, in a tent with a leader of a bicycling group that I was with that we had just finished bicycling all over uh, England, hitting all the tourist hotspots and a lot of places that weren't because we were on bicycles. And it was a 2,500-mile trip in about a month. And and, uh, I had some close calls, and I was in the context with other people who were of the faith. And I really wasn't. I was just there to, you know, to enjoy the pubs, quite honestly. Um, and so it, it, was, it didn't work real well. And yet here I was um, handing tracts out to people in Oxford or um, reading the Gospel of John. And I had never in my life ever um, read that read what John wrote about Jesus. I had never read that. Um, and I was brought up in a parochial school, a Lutheran school, I knew you know, I, 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 scripture memorization, I did all of that and yet I still didn't know the biblical Jesus and that's exactly what what we're talking about here. So we bring we bring our shame with us and if we are not careful it will weave its way into our spiritual journey as well and we will not only be sinful to make mistakes and, and sin, another religious word, I realize, but we're not only that, but we're also sinful. And so the shame gets in there because if I am, let me just be really clear. If, I am, if I'm placing my life and my trust and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, and his resurrection, then I Paul tells us we are now in Christ, and when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinful, corrupt being. He sees Jesus. So let's be real clear, shall we? Because oftentimes our concepts of ourselves are pre-conversion. They're not embracing and living in the reality of who we actually are. Now, that doesn't get us off the hook from s- from confronting our sinfulness and and our sins, the things that we do that miss the mark, which is exactly what sin actually means. So we can really get stuck with this guilt and shame. And not only have I done something wrong, but I've also, I am wrong. I am a mistake. And we bring that into our faith. And then we attribute it to God. And then we get mad at God. And then we walk away. And that's a challenge in sticking into and sticking with this journey as well. The other part of this is having a sense of kind of bankruptcy, you know, as I, I have nothing to give. I, and usually what it does is it, it prompts our tendencies um, to control and manage and keep things certain where they're not very certain. And usually what shows up, particularly around this one. Where we feel like God is absent or has abandoned us is something that, that in psychology we talk about as, as, as you know, um, attachment styles or attachment filters, however you want to look at it that way. And <clears throat> there are four different styles. Um, I'm not going to go into detail with these, but they're the ambivalent, there's the avoidant, there's the anxious ambivalent, I believe as, there's a combination one in there somewhere, um, and then the secure. And the the interesting thing, uh, I'm sorry, I, I told you wrong, it's disorganized, um, and then the secure. The interesting thing about that is is it's worth our while to understand attachment styles and that which we are are showing that doesn't mean that we can't change them we can it does but it also means that they're still there they're still going to show up at a variety of times particularly under stress um, when we might be hurt whatever that might be and so people that are have a more secure attachment style when things are going wrong they don't feel abandoned they don't feel like god is absent uh, but those of us that have um, the, you know whether it 's the disorganized or the ambivalent or the anxious um, all of those whatever those might be, either those take me toward people and cling real tightly or they push they have me running away from them in some way and so it, we it 's worth our while and i 'll just point you to it and i'll i 'll put a link on the the um, show notes, the podcast notes, to, that will take you and explain it very simply to you so that you can understand what it is I'm talking about. We know that attachment styles are related to spiritual development. We know that without a shadow of a doubt. There is there is a ton of evidence about that. Um, one of the things that we do, depending on our attachment style, is that we fall into contractual thinking. So, and the way that works, and this becomes a beginning point of our spirituality, is if I do this, then God will do that. And it's contractual. And, and all of our relationship with God is that way. And so I pray, I read my Bible, I'm a good person, therefore what? You know, what, how do we see God? What, What is he supposed to do in response to that? Because, I, you know, there's a part of me, there's not a part of me, there's a lot of me, that God. it seems to me, and I know God doesn't have a head, and he's a spirit being and everything else, but when he hears us thinking and doing things that way, he's got to scratch his head and say, listen, all, I gave you t- t- a relationship with me. Why don't you lean into that and let that change you, rather than willpowering your way into it and then expecting me to do something in return because that's not a relationship it's just a trade and we treat god kind of like an object sometimes in and what have you done for me lately kind of thing and that really does show up so um so what about that's how we gets caged we get kind of stuck in this particular stage the the What does progress look like? And ultimately, progress starts with acceptance. Making progress in our spiritual journey starts with acceptance. If it doesn't start with acceptance, we will spin our wheels at this stage or this phase of the journey a long time because it's more the same, just with spiritual garb. And, and that's really what it amounts to. So ultimately, I make progress to, to, the, to the degree or to the extent that I embrace that I am accepted as I am, not as I should be, because I'm never going to be what I should be. And a lot of people hear me say that, and I say it a lot. But there are a lot of people who hear me say that and say, "Well, that just gets me off the hook. What am I? What do I? What? What, what am I going to use to motivate myself?" And you know, I end up looking back and saying, um, "Love, uh, that really." See, the thing is, and there's so many rifts here that I could run down, and I'm trying not to do that, but. Love cannot exist in a context of control. It cannot. Love flourishes in freedom. God went out of his way to free us so that what? What? He freed us so that we could choose him and pursue a relationship with him. And presumably, as I bring more and more of my life in alignment with him... I'll make changes because that's what alignment is. That's what a relationship is. That's the nature of it. So making progress is moving from the motivation of avoiding shame to embracing love as a motivation, moving toward God because he's already come most of the way for us. And one of the issues during this phase of the journey is to find a, a, a good mentor uh, who doesn't, doesn't just know about Scripture, doesn't just spout off Scripture about whatever problem you face, but understands the landscape of what a journey like this is like and the kinds of things that you early on have to fight with, that you have to wrestle with somehow. And, are, and and there's just a few questions that I think of, you know, for example, are they willing to, to share their own journey? Not because, you know, a lot of times we'll tell a story from our own lives and then kind of tie it up in a bow and then give it to the person and say, okay, now what are you going to do? Rather than yeah, I I walk this journey. I've done this. Is how I handle it, or this is how I really blew it up really badly, and and that's what this is what happened, and this is how I responded, and th- this may be a key person that intervened to be able to help me along that way. So, are they willing to to share their own journey? And then the second question I have is, do they understand that the journey is about trust? not just obedience not just obedience okay now let me again a lot of these terms have to be defined because obedience is defined we we equate obedience with with changed behavior obedience is defined by the word itself as listening intently the next step is doing something with what I just heard. That's the next step, but that is not obedience. Obedience is listening intently. So we're looking, or you might be looking for, a person who, as a mentor, understands that the journey is about building and growing in trust. Obedience will come along on its own. Obedience in in listening intently and acting differently. It will come on its own. We don't have to focus as much on that because part of our transformation is not something that is in our control. We don't have the power to be to be transformed. Only God has that power. And the only way I can access that power is by trusting him, even when the circumstances don't say he's good. So... The key here is to accept that you're loved as you are and not as you should be. And that really is key. Um, You know, the other thing to keep in mind, and if you're in a position of mentoring people, I want to address you, and that is be aware that we are prone to make disciples that look just like us rather than like Jesus. And it isn't always words. That are necessary to accomplish them looking more like Jesus. It's in our interactions, it's in our willingness to ask the kinds of questions that prompt them to think, not tell them what to think. It's those kinds of things that are an that are important part of it. So all of that is the, what stage one looks like. There's a lot there, and I kind of had a suspicion that I would do that Um, So there's a lot there. And I I probably am going to uh, call it a day and bring this to a close today. And then I'll go on to stage two next time. But uh, just a few end of program reminders. Um, sgi-net.org, that is the digital home. Uh, Please visit, join our community. Um, and you will be notified, you'll get a newsletter. I've got a new uh, article coming out in the news, new newsletter uh, um, called uh, Redemptive Communities. And so we will be building that in. There will be dates of, of when the retreats are coming up, uh, as well as uh, some in devotional, inspirational reading as well. Um, and a variety of other kind of hope, hopefully helpful things to, to keep in mind. If you have questions or anything, obviously the, the, um, the invitation stands to DM me on Instagram or just hit the website. There's a, it, there's a comment box at the very bottom of the page, on the first page, that you can do that. Um, and then subscribe and follow the podcast and write us a review. If it's good, if you think it's worth people's while to listen please do a review. That's the only way that we can raise our profile um, to not only um, further the mission of SGI, but also to, to um, get more ears listening to the kinds of things that, that I tend to talk about here. Um, so you can follow us on Instagram at SGI underscore international. Um, at Facebook, Ray.Mitch, there, there are frequently... Uh, posts there, and then finally at LinkedIn at DR Mitch M I T S C H. By the way, um, you can hear the podcast on any uh, on any platform that you listen to podcasts. So feel free to do that if you're interested. If you want to partner with us financially, we would be ever so appreciative and, and eternally indebted, literally. Um, so you can make a donation. And SGI is a tax-exempt organization, so your your um, all of your donations are tax-deductible, um, and you can support our scholarship fund. You can support um, just the general mission of SGI, and there are other things in the wings that that I would very much like to see implemented. But we we need the we need the income to do that. We need money to do that. Either no matter how you cut it, that's really the the process by which we accomplish these things. So um, you can um, hit the donate button and donate there. Uh, Or if you want a resource of some sort for your donation, you can certainly do that as well. Um, You can either uh, sign up for our digital uh, devotional called Setting New Boundaries, and you will get an email every week for a year about <clears throat> about healthy relationships and boundaries and things like that that's a donation we also have a window sticker uh, that is promotes uh, the outpost podcast uh, that you can proudly wear for people to ask about what we're doing it has the latin phrase on it essay quam videre which means to be rather than seem uh, so there's that that's only five bucks um, and, and then, of course, I already mentioned the, the digital devotional. If you would rather send us a physical check, you certainly are welcome to do that. Just make it out to SGI, uh, P.O. Box 322, East Lake, Colorado, 80614. So there you have it. Thanks again for, for joining me. I very much appreciate it. I do not take it for granted that I have, I have some folks out there that, that listen on a regular basis. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, And I will be back here next week talking about stage three. And I hope to meet you then here at sgi-net.org. Until then, love you later. Bye.